Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 22nd of October, 2017. Here we are in an age where most folk think that not too much at the moment is really happening in the world. In an age where supposedly you've got so much information as never before, there's less and less information getting given to you. Well, you get lots of trivia data of little irrelevant stories. That's all they are, is stories. Stories that, that you would yawn if someone told you in the street. But now you're supposed to take it as awfully important if it's someone in some other country said something far, far, far away concerning people you'll never hear about again or, or meet in your lifetime. We're managed so well today. It's incredible, to me, that is, how well we're managed I always knew they could do it because they kept writing about it at the top from the think tanks, etc. I'm talking about the globalists and the institutions like the Royal Institute for International Affairs, CFR, and the myriad of organizations underneath them that help run the world today. But truly, we're living in an age where we're getting massaged. Our brains are massaged. Not just electronically, directly, that is, but also through the tripe Absolute tripe they give you for news. It's not just badly written. Uh, whoever writes them doesn't even have much of imagination. It's really very poor indeed. doesn't even grab you. But that's a new technique, you see. You're supposed to believe that the world's been managed by a kind of layer above you, kind of like a heaven, an intellectual heaven above you that allows you to play for the rest of your lives. That's what you're supposed to do. Sleep, procreate, not, don't procreate actually, go through the motions, of, just don't have any children. And, but sleep, 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 be happy, be happy, like they live kind of thing, the movie. And it's really get all in force today. Don't think anything bad about anybody, because then you're bad, you're bad. If you notice something that might be very factual, just by noticing it, you might be bad. Incredible techniques of Pavlovian indoctrination and reflex actions created into you. Reflex responses and blushing and guilt and all the rest of it. And don't you want to be good? Who who needs all that blushing and guilt because you've thought of something or you've noticed something? Why not be like the rest and be good and be happy and get little pats on the head from your masters from school all the way through adulthood? Be good. I've read so many articles over many years. Many of them had to do with surveys. The big boys at the top are always doing surveys. It's awfully important to do surveys and all kinds of topics. And they have lists of them which they must repeat every year. And work out their percentages of who are against something, who are now for something, how many are indifferent to it, and right down to the age group sorting too to see what changes are happening with the same topics every year. That way, you see, they know what's working, what isn't. They know what to tweak. They actually have think tanks working on, okay, 60% of the people were were against this. Now, Now ask them why. Figure all the different categories of reasons and then smooth them out one by one, even if it takes lying to them, which generally is what happens, and then do it again the next year. And, And bingo. They get a swing, and they get what they want. You have no idea how much of your own tax money goes in to rearranging your brains to suit your masters. You have none at all. From the social engineering at school, which is phenomenal today. It's incredible. What's happening today could have caused wars in the past. And yet today, because of the, the parents themselves went through the, a heavier indoctrination, they accept an even heavier indoctrination on their children. It's the same technique that was used of sexualization, hypersexualization of the people with the television and one generation. I've said before, <laughs> if you had the 1960 model, if you had your grandma sitting there with her daughter and family, you would see the different reactions to what they were seeing then. But today, you're almost into pure pornography. They'd all be sitting today, because they've all been re-engineered, basically, by the techniques of persuasion to watch it all. 
Repetition, repetition, repetition. So many studies prove it works awfully well. And so you'll constantly tolerate more and more and more of things that perhaps you shouldn't tolerate. This is the same techniques, remember, that were talked about by Aldous Huxley. Aldous Huxley worked with the Tavistock Institute and other institutes as well. And he understood by his own class, his own particular scientific classes, he called it, and Julian Huxley's brother called it the same thing. They belonged to a scientific class of world managers. You had the economic class at the top that, that owned it all. You would have the, the, the scientific class that would manage and engineer it all for the populations below them. And that's still going on today. But anyway, Aldous Huxley talked about, in the George Wallace interview, I think it was, he said that there are techniques which could persuade people to accept things but that perhaps they shouldn't be accepting off. It begins their own, own good, in other words. And that's beyond just propaganda. There's all kinds of propaganda and levels of, of the techniques that are used. But there's also massive coercion as well and distractions. And, of course, downright lies. So much of what happens with war is to do with getting you into to something which you and your children, if you have any, or yourself, will, will pay for with your life or taxes or something on behalf of a small clique who laugh up their sleeves behind the scenes, who have no problem getting nations into wars, who have no problem benefiting financially, personally from it all, and have no problem, too, owning the medias and telling them to lie to the public and tell you it's a good cause. It's an odd thing, in a sense, this thing called reality that you're given. It's very odd in that all television programs or movies to do with the police are pure propaganda. And what it does, it makes everyone think that the system which the police work for, which you think is the people, but it's not, it's for the people who own the system, that the system itself is legitimate and good and proper. Well, anything against the system is bad and nasty and criminal. And yet, if, if you took the same occurrences in the criminal world, which you'll loudly condemn, and look at the actions of those who rule your nations. I'm not talking about the politicians, although they're bad enough too. But, but looking at those who really rule your nations, who do get you into wars, who do talk about getting you into wars. I read all the articles, which were published, there weren't conspiracy theories, by the mainstream after the Iraqi wars. And Tony Blair and others all got together with the oil companies to divvy up Iraq before they even decided to go to war with it. In a sense, they'd already decided they were going to take the country to war, but they hadn't, hadn't been declared. But they were all going to benefit, of course they were, from it all, which they, they certainly did. The same with the U.S. and what happens too. But for the general public, they're given a basic, simple propaganda. He's a bad man, and let's go and get the bad man. And that's very simple propaganda. It works very well when all the media is on board with it. Now, if all the media is on board with it, you should ask questions as why. Is it simply because they're all owned by the same people? All the media? Or is it another? It is that, in fact. But it's also another thing to do with people themselves who work for a living, who are willing to squash all forms of decency and what's right and wrong for a paycheck and scribble whatever they're told to scribble. Some quite happily, and other ones who, who are not quite happy will believe. It's the same in any profession or job or anything else. That's how bad it is. We're constantly getting told what to accept and what's good for us. And you're seeing now a very matriarchal type of uh, propaganda, very blatant, uh, with even the, even the people they choose, for instance, on some national stations, I mean run by governments, stations which are like radio or television, they actually pick people who have certain voices, especially the women who are awfully good for documentaries because they, they have a kind of lulling 
way of saying things and when it's backed up with the music behind it and so on, when you're seeing a particular scene, it will embed itself more, more, more easily into your, into your mind. And that's why they use many of that. But they also are disapproving. When they talk about a topic where you're supposed to think this way, and they're, they're, they're vilifying some group or person or whatever it happens to be, then you're being told that, and that, that nasty voice, when the, the, the disapproving voice is put on, that if you think that way too, then you're, you're just as nasty. It's, it's incessant today. We don't get news. Everything is social engineering. And getting back to if, if your government's doing something, or those who own your government, which really is the same thing as, <laughs> as basically uh, the criminal element, the underworld, or whatever they want to call it, doing the same thing. Well, how come it isn't looked upon by the people as being the same thing? It's because, again, they've trained you that the legitimate uh, can do whatever it wants, but, but illegitimate is bad. It's as simple as that. And that's why you get so much of it, so much propaganda through fiction. I've often mentioned that Jack C. Lull talked about propaganda and wrote about it very, very precisely, in fact. And he was, he was pretty obsessional with the philosophical techniques of going through logic on the topics that he put out there. And he did say that all, all fiction shows to do with police and, and, everything, and everything else, basically from the government, I guess that would include really what the military's up to as well, is propaganda. And it really is, isn't it? I was thinking about that recently too. I was looking at, the, for instance, Scotland as an example. And England, Britain, <laughs> the ordinary folk in Britain, for centuries went through hell. Centuries. When they lived in a feudal system. And the feudal system didn't suddenly drop when they brought in a form of parliament in England. It still went on. And along came the, the Industrial Revolution. When now that they had uh, the, the financiers, mercantile bankers, who, who were willing to loan out cash to other landowners and so on, to start out big businesses and factories, etc. But that the people starving in the country for an awful long time. And the people couldn't. They couldn't just pack in a job. These jobs were meant to, to, be, to kill you. Laissez-faire, you know, capitalism they called it at the time. There was no such thing as, let's debate if this is a decent sort of system or not. It was, the capitalist just said, this is, this is the way it is, and that's that. Make, make profits, earn lots of cash, and if people die off in the factories, it's 16 to 18 hours a day, then that's just the way of it. There were poor houses too, for those who got sick and couldn't work in the factories anymore. And then they were finished off in the, in the, in the workhouses, as they called them. The poor houses were the workhouses, and they were they worked it out that you'd last maybe three months before you died in the poor house. So, Great Britain had this going, and they had this feudal system where they still had a massive military across the planet, which really exploded with uh, again mercantile banking and the masses of poor folk that could get into the army and put them across the whole planet. Well. So here you have it through the 1800s. Now, the ordinary folk really <laughs> were worked to the bone. Death happened long before, for many folk, long before 30 years of age. Long before it. And that was looked upon as the natural way. It always is looked, even today's system is the natural way. Whatever happens to be at the time it's given to you, it's the natural way. And then you find that all the wars... And the wars were financed by having a centralized banking system, where now the agreement was that the centralized bankers, basically, would own this semi-private public <laughs> deal of the taxation system, which would tax the people and get the money back for the loans given to the government. And it makes you wonder, if Britain had such an empire, how come, how come, all the people were put down as, as owing this money, millions and millions of pounds even back then, when supposedly all, all the trade that was going through a few people who were based in London. 
In fact, even the Rothschilds had relatives who were put over in some of these countries as lieutenant general governors, basically. They, they, they had the authority of the crown, and all business went through their hands. So really, these people looked upon the countries as, as private businesses, and everybody in the countries, for that matter. And then they had to get a propaganda arm going to tell the public something different, that somehow it was their country, and they should be proud that, that, that you had an empire across, across the world. You know, why should the ordinary people be proud of something which that they had nothing to do with? And that once it was all collapsing, they're still paying all off. And then they go from that into the 20th century, right until World War I, where not a place in Britain, not a little town, village, or city, was left without dead everywhere, and massive cenotaphs of all the fallen. I don't think to this day they've ever disclosed the, the true amount of people who died. But you'll see the cenotaphs everywhere. Where thousands and thousands were killed on a daily basis. This was normal. They weren't allowed even to lie down in the field for cover. They they had to stand up and march forward into machine gun fire. And you have to really question, is it that insane? Or were the big Fabians behind culling down the population? Was that all part of it? It certainly benefited the manufacturers of everything which the military needed. They made profits as never before. Never before. You have countries like Britain going through all of that and rationing in World War I. And then they go through World War I, come out of it into the Depression, which started early. They never got out of it. I don't think they ever had it that good, the ordinary people, to be honest with you. And a depression, a Great Depression, and so you had the 1800s of, of semi-starvation, uh, and a lot of what were dying basically of starvation, even though they were, they were working, and the conditions in the factories and stuff. They came from that into the 20th century, World War I, the Great Depression, rationing, and, and so on and so on. Right up into World War II, and the rationing continued, by the way, and got worse. When you look at the old documentaries that the government put out on, on what you're allowed to eat per week, <laughs> you, you couldn't do that. That would be enough for a war today. And people did die. There were definitely people who died of malnutrition in the UK. And that's been what I, what I lived have kept on that one too. And then rationing didn't stop till the 1950s, about 54, I think, in Britain. And even when it had stopped, the people still couldn't afford to eat healthily, etc. Even when it started to trickle in to be more available, the proper foods and so on. And yet people naturally, and I mean naturally, want to think the best about their countries. It's a natural instinct to praise your country. Very natural. It comes from belonging to a basic small tribe. And that doesn't matter how big that tribe gets to be, you still feel you're part of the tribe. So the instincts are there for survival. You stick together, you do things together, and you take the consequences together, etc. But in reality, all the people that people got in, in Britain after all of this extortion through incredible, incredible conditions and labor for the 19th centuries and the 20th century with the wars and so on, all they got handed was a tab, the big bill. And that wasn't enough. They had a World War II and another big bill. And at the same time, those who ruled them at the top, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, who set up the League of Nations as an embryo of world government using the British Empire as the basis for it, they eventually passed it on also to the US to take over. The same Royal for International Affairs, CFR, planned to take away their sovereignty as a nation and all the countries involved. So go through all this war fighting, etc. Watch a whole generation pretty well get wiped out and keep lying to the public. It's not enough. They're not giving up their sovereignty. Guess World War II going. Bring it into the League of Nations, into the United Nations, and then 
you, you can really get the ball rolling. To give up their sovereignty. Then tell them that they're bad. They're bad for a thousand reasons. The ordinary people are bad for a thousand reasons. And because of those thousand reasons, they've got to f- get rid of your borders and open up to other cultures. And so, because your culture is rotten. You know, there's never been people so abused in history, I think, when you look back on it, by those that uh, very skillfully ruled them. And the people are still going off today to, to fight for wars which they don't understand. You can't blame young guys for doing it. Often in countries where they aren't going to get jobs already anyway because there's hardly any work there for them. They know that too. And suddenly you're a somebody, be a somebody, and they get respect before they never got noticed. And if they survive and get out of it, okay, in one piece, then uh, they might get a, a chance of getting some kind of job for ex-military, showing off, you know, or showing tours of castles or something like that. That's generally what they used to get. But anyway, what I'm saying here is everything is so managed. Your thoughts now are really going in for ultra-management. A few years back, I read about the Leveson Inquiry in Britain to do with big scandals with newspapers at the time. And it was under the pretext of of should newspapers have the ability to, to, to pry and even hack into folks' telephone conversations and so on. That was the pretext of it, because the reality of it was to set up a board, a governmental board. Everything's farmed out today. Be very careful when you think it's government. You can have a private group, an, a, a special interest group, a, it could be a majority or a minority, doesn't matter. When you give power of speech or freedom of speech and what can and cannot be said to one small group. You bear, you, you, well, number one, it should never happen because it'll always be corrupted, but it can also be taken, it can actually be set up by the very group who wants to dominate the rest. And so they had the Levison inquiry and the media since then has never been the same since. It was never great before, but it's really terrible now. And then you had at the same time the Finkelstein inquiry into into Australia, just by coincidence, it came out the same thing. A governmental panel who really would decide if they were going to come after people for saying something. Now it's been, you can see it all taking shape as many groups behind all this kind of thing come forward feeling they've taken control over the speech of others, obviously. It's, it's in the open as far as I'm concerned. And a few years ago, too, when it all came out, I put up a link to a video, which I'll put up again tonight, and it's called The Forbidden History of Unpopular People. It's worth watching, very short, but it does go through the salient points. Because you can't give power, that kind of power, to anybody. Don't ever, don't ever be cowed by whatever is thrown at you by your rotten or nasty or bad, or whatever name they call you. Don't ever be cowed by that, because it's too dangerous a premise when folk can come after you for thinking or saying anything at all. Now, I'm going to touch on propaganda again tonight, because it's, it's incessant. You're going to get it your whole life long. And if you don't know you're being hammered with propaganda, then you've had it, basically. All information is, is spun to you. You have to question all of it, all of it. Even if you can't figure out initially why you would be targeted for propaganda, You'll, you will eventually find out. But this article here was in 2016. It says, Inside the Invisible Government War, Propaganda, Clinton and Trump. The American journalist Edward Bernays is often described as a man who invented modern propaganda. The nephew of Sigmund Freud, the pioneer of psychoanalysis, it was Bernays who coined the term public relations as a euphemism for spin and its deceptions. I should mention too, uh, doesn't mention it here, but he also, you know, was picked up and, and brought in to negotiate, along with, with Wilson, 
uh, the League of Nations. He was brought in and taken on that tour over to France. He was only about 21, 22 at the time, I think, so I'm very, very young anyway. So he was well connected beforehand, obviously. These kind of little giveaways tell you more than they want to tell you. In 1929, he persuaded feminists to promote cigarettes for women by smoking in the New York Easter Parade. Behavior then considered outlandish. One feminist, Ruth Booth, declared women light another torch of freedom, fight another sex taboo. Have you heard that recently? Same kind of thing, same rubbish as folk get used, and, and they never know they're getting used. I'll just stop for a second here and mention something else. The techniques people have used, including Bernays, of how to motivate people in order that they could use you, basically. Whoever's motivating you can, can use you and use you right up to war and into war, taking your life or whatever it happens to be for a cause that you have no idea of. Not the one they're telling you about, but something else. You're the last to know. Your beliefs are always being managed for you. Always. If you look at Cecil Rhodes, for instance, Cecil Rhodes, and I've read the articles over the air years and years ago, back in the 90s, and I'm sure they're up there on the internet somewhere, but uh, Cecil Rhodes, in his will, put in the Rothschild, by the way, with co-founder of the Rhodes Scholarship and, and the Society, again, for world government, a particular type. And Bill Clinton was, was a Rhodes Scholar, many other ones are too. You, you'll find that, that basically, Cecil Rhodes said that they'd have to form an organization a secret society similar to the Jesuit, or they would use the Jesuit techniques. Now, the Jesuit techniques were used by all sides long before he came along. Because you'll find that if you look into the communist, the people who, who wrote a lot about communism, and who planned how to take over societies opposed to basically fighting, how they could take it over through quiet cultural warfare, in other words, like Gramsci and so on, they, they helped to outline that technique, how to use people without them even knowing they were getting used. Now, that's the same technique that Adam Weishaupt used. Very, very effective. And you could first get people enthusiastic about something. But the real goal is to get them on board as collectively as a group. Dynamics, when you get a bunch of guys together, for instance, and then you all agree, or all pals together, yada, 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 this is our little club. And then, then of course, you're given another part of the agenda. Uh, oh, this is going to threaten our group here if we don't do something. Oh, let's all swear an oath to do something about it. Yada, yada, yada. And then you all get it. You're getting used. That's how it works. And when you're getting used, you will believe you're actually doing things out of your own volition. That's the trick of it. That's the trick of being used. And Weishaupt knew this too. Weishaupt and some of the people who worked with him wrote about some of their techniques. It was very, very effective in that they could take over Masonic lodges, for instance, and gradually persuade through different techniques, persuade those lodges to all unite together for a common cause. But the end of, of what they want, what, what Weishaupt wanted, would not be known to those who were involved in it. They were given a different ending as to why they were doing something. So you, you never really know why you're, you're being used if you just go along with it. It's an in-depth thing. I could give talks on it someday. But anyway, that's basically what still happens today. Back to this article with Bernays now. Remember Bernays too, uh, who, who also had big clients, big, big clients, corporate clients in his day because he did their advertising form and propaganda and all the rest of it. Remember, he got, he got the U.S. to, to, to invade uh, one of the Latin American countries because his client was American Fruits, like the fruit company or something it was called, and the guys there wanted to get a decent wage and so on. They went on strike, and he got the American military to go in there and uh, overturn them and save this corporation. It's quite amazing the chutzpah these guys have. Would you ever think of using a nation to save one of your clients because you got paid so much big bucks from them? But use a whole nation and their war facilities? That's how it's done. Anyway, back to. 
And this is the guy they put for world peace. They put over to the League of Nations and the Paris Accord. Eh? Anyway, in 1929, he persuaded feminists to promote cigarettes and so on. These women getting used, and I've, I've given links before, over the years to the, the actual footage of the time, and you'll see the avant-garde females of the day, the so-called enlightened, wealthier type, pulling cigarettes out of their tops of their stockings to make it look, make it look sexy and all this kind of stuff. So liberation back then was, and you always find, by the way, down through history, liberation always brings sexual freedom of all kinds. That's always strange. It's all goes hand in hand. Go down through history and you'll find it. Anyway, and you get all getting used. Everyone's getting used. Bernays influence extended far beyond advertising. His greatest success was his role in convincing the American people to join the slaughter of the First World War. What's fascinating to me is the fact that they kept it all secret that, that Wilson was Wilson was getting managed by the Royal Institute for International Affairs via Sir Ed Gray, his name was. That was the contact man, the middleman. And Gray's associate in the U.S., his contact there was Mandel House, Edward Mandel House, the guy who also helped to draft up the Federal Reserve Act and so on. And it was all planned that way, to keep America out for, for two or three years while the banks raked in the cash because they were loaning to all sides involved over in Europe. Incredible documentaries came out later about that. And then they got them into for the last year or so to make sure that uh, all these countries would eventually pay off their debts. That's what it was part of the reason they went in there. But anyway, this is what he says, getting people to go off and fight the First World War. And he admitted afterwards how they, they formed a company to, to engineer the consent of the people in order to control and regiment them according to our will without their knowing about it. That's right out of Weishaupt's how-to book. Say it again. The secret he said was engineering the consent of people in order to control and regiment them according to our will without their knowing about it. The same thing that Weishaupt did with the Masonic Lodges too. That's how eventually you can get a lot of good folk, even in the lodges, doing things and pushing agendas that they had no idea themselves would end up the way they ended up. But those at the very top knew. That's what I've always said. If you belong to a group, you're, you're going to be used, especially in this day and age. He described this group, you know, the ability to rule people without their knowing about it, or even knowing the real outcome of, of what you're, how you're ruling them, the real purpose of it. He says the true ruling power in our society is an invisible government. That's what he called it. Today, the invisible government has never been more powerful and less understood. In my career as a journalist, this is actually John Pilger on this article here. I'm adding to it here too. He, he said that Mike is a journalist and filmmaker. I've never known propaganda to insinuate our lives and as it does now and go unchallenged. Imagine two cities. Both are under siege by the forces of the governments of that country. Both cities are occupied by fanatics who commit terrible atrocities such as beheading people. There's a vital difference. In one siege, the government soldiers are described as liberators by Western reporters embedded with them, who enthusiastically report their battles and airstrikes. There are front-page pictures of these heroic soldiers giving V-signs for victory. There is scant mention of civilian casualties. In the second cities in another country nearby, almost exactly the same thing is happening. Government forces are laying siege to a city controlled by the same breed of fanatics. The difference is that these fanatics are supported, supplied and armed by us, by the US and Britain. They even have a media centre that is funded by Britain and America. Another difference is that the government soldiers laying siege to this city are the bad guys, condemned for assaulting and bombing the city, which is exactly what the good soldiers do in the first city. Confusing, not really such as a basic double standard that is the essence of propaganda. I'm referring, of course, to the current siege of the city. This time when it was written was Mosul by the government forces of Iraq, who are backed by the US and Britain, and to the siege of Aleppo by the government forces of Syria, backed by Russia. One is good, the other is bad. 
That's how simple they give us the stories, even though they don't make any sense. So again, it's basic philosophy. Philosophy, if you have the same signs and symptoms of what you're looking at or reading or whatever it happens to be, and the same causes given, except, well, obviously the same answer we should apply, no matter of who is doing it, it's all the same thing, which are exactly the same. It should always be the same answer. Well, if it's not the same answer, then, then it's a propaganda piece. There's reason, real reasons which you're not going to be told about why your country is doing what they're doing. What is seldom reported is that both cities would not be occupied by fanatics and ravaged by war if Britain and the U.S. hadn't invaded Iraq in 2003. That criminal enterprise was launched on lies, strikingly similar to the propaganda that now distorts our understanding of the civil war in Syria. And isn't that truth? And never mind the masses of refugees and all the rest of it, all because of 9-11, what happened then. And there's no doubt about it in my mind at all. What happened in New York was planned. It was planned, and I really doubt the official version. Really, really doubt it. Because the dust hadn't cleared before the officials in the U.S. were shouting that Osama bin Laden was behind it. It was, it was so staged to, to, for it to happen like that. And the neocons, we, we know who, who they are, what they are, and what they wanted. They published the countries they wanted to go to war with, and they couldn't have done it, and they said it themselves, without a Pearl Harbor event to get public support behind them. And getting back, getting back to the chutzpah, as I say, of Bernays, who used the American military <laughs> for his private enterprise with the fruit company. What's the difference between guys using the country, all of its power, its tax, everything, and its military for a, a pre-planned series of wars to take down a whole bunch of countries that really had nothing to do with average Americans at all? Or British, for that matter. And again, you can find out yourself what the reasons were. We, we know them. But anyway, that, that's, that's how it's done. That's how it's done. The, the bigger the lie, the more people have to, have to swallow it because they're so stunned. And they couldn't believe that, that because they themselves will tell little white lies to get what they want. But they can't believe anybody would lie with that kind of, let's say, chutzpah. You can't believe it. If you tried it, you'd be blushing and turn all kinds of... No, but the psychopaths, no, no problem at all. Anyway, this article goes on to say that some may remember... I remember, too, George Bush Jr. Afterwards, after the whole thing was over with, uh, with uh, invading Iraq, an inquiry, you can look it up yourself, you'll, you'll see him. He's asked, this is, but why did they go after Saddam Hussein? Because there's no, no proof of or even hint that Saddam Hussein had anything to do with 9-11. And Bush Jr. said, well, he says, he says, I didn't say that I didn't do with it. I just think the world's better off without him. He was a bad man, and we're better off without him. So, so that's, a, that's a flippant excuse that was good enough, supposedly, in the arrogance of those who rule America, to tell the public. And the whole list of countries, that I've said many times before, was published by the Project for New American Century, before it all happened. And then... A few years back, General Wesley Clark mentioned the same thing on Democracy Now!, a documentary there, about the list of countries they wanted to take out. But they needed a reason to do it. I says, without this drumbeat of propaganda dressed up as news, and that's what it is, it's drumbeat of propaganda, the monstrous ISIS and Al-Qaeda and Al-Nusra and the rest of the jihadist gang might not exist, and the people of Syria might not be fighting for their lives today. Some may remember in 2003 a succession of BBC reporters turning to the camera and telling us that Blair was vindicated for what turned out to be the crime of the century. The US television networks produced the same validation for George W. Bush. Fox News brought on Henry Kissinger to fuse over Colin Powell's fabrications. The same year, soon after the invasion, I filmed as Pilger, an interview in Washington with Charles Lewis, the renowned American investigative journalist. I asked him what would happen if the freest media in the world 
had seriously challenged what turned out to be crude propaganda. He replied that if journalists had done their job, there's a very, very good chance that we would not have gone to war in Iraq. Now, it started there and it went right through. They're still fighting. Yeah, it hasn't stopped. Eh? It's changed the face of Europe, all this stuff. So it was a shocking statement and one supported by other famous journalists to whom I put the same question, Dan Rather of CBS. And you can actually see that documentary I put up before where Pilger talks to Dan Rather, David Rose of the Observer, and journalists and producers in the BBC and so on. So in other words, had journalists done their job, had they challenged and investigated propaganda instead of applying it, hundreds of thousands of men, women and children would be alive today and there would be no ISIS and no siege of Aleppo or Mosul. There would have been no atrocity on the London Underground on 7th July 2005 and there would, there would have been no flight of millions of refugees and there would be no miserable camps. Think about that, you know. <laughs> When the terrorist atrocity happened in Paris last November, President Francois Hollande immediately sent planes to bomb Syria, and more terrorism followed. Predictably, the product of Hollande's bombast about France being at war and showing no mercy, uh, that state violence and jihadist violence feed off each other, is the truth that no national leader has the courage to speak. When the truth is replaced by silence, said the Soviet dissident Yevtushenko, the silence is a lie. The attack on Iraq, the attack on Libya, the attack on Syria happened because the leader of each of these countries was not a puppet of the West. The hum- and, and by the way, those countries too, they weren't on the tab of the World Bank. They weren't born in the cash. The human rights record of Saddam or Gaddafi was irrelevant. They did not obey orders and surrender control of their country. The same fate awaited uh, Slobodan Milosevic, once he had refused to sign an agreement that demanded that the occupation of Serbia and its conversion to a market economy, his people were bombed and he was prosecuted in The Hague. Independence of this kind is intolerable. As WikiLeaks has revealed, it was only when the Syrian leader Bashar al-Assad in 2009 rejected an oil pipeline running through his country from Qatar to Europe that he was attacked. From that moment, the CIA planned to destroy the government of Syria with jihadist fanatics, the same fanatics currently holding the people of Mosul and eastern Aleppo hostage. Why is this not news? The former British Foreign Office official, Carney Ross, who was responsible for operating sanctions against Iraq, told me, we would feed journalists factoids of sanitized intelligence. Or we would freeze them out. That's how it worked. In other words, if the, if, the, if the journalists just repeated what they were told as handouts, they would get more handouts. And if they wouldn't go along with it, they'd be frozen out of any information at all. The West medieval client, Saudi Arabia, to which the US and Britain sells billions of dollars worth of arms, is at present destroying Yemen, a country so poor that, that in the best of times, half the children are malnourished. And then he goes through, it's quite a long article actually, but it's worth reading because these are facts which with time disappear. And I've said before, when you have agendas, facts don't matter. Emotion is what matters with propaganda. Oh, look at these nasty, terrible beasts. Look what they're doing. And then they bring out fake actors to tell you what they're doing, like they did with the ambassador's daughter, brought on when Saddam Hussein was first being vilified. And even did the spoof on that with Wag the Dog. And that's how it's done now, isn't it? Also, another article too, was War by Media and the Triumph of Propaganda, 2014. Don't forget, these are good keepers because for those who are serious and who care, who care to at least know things, it doesn't matter what you can do about it, You've got to first know things to save yourself from going insane, or if you're a real thinker, because you will go insane, or you'll simply melt, your brain will melt into the mush that's dished out daily to occupy you on the internet. It's all managed that way, of course it is. And then another one too, even goes into propaganda with the American Civil War. And it starts off, it says, if I asked you the cause of the American Civil War, but what it was, would your first answer be slavery? Would it surprise you to know that slavery was only one grievance the South had with 
the Lincoln administration. It's quite a good bit. Again, it's facts, though, which you can check yourself. And but facts don't matter when there's big agendas at work. Everyone gets used in their agendas, remember. Especially when they, they're really uh, turned into little, you know, emotional fanatics. You can use emotional fanatics. They're the last to figure out what's happening. The fact that they'll kill anybody who tells them they're getting used. And that's how good it is. And getting back, what I mentioned before, to, to what happened with Weissopt. I mean, that was the, the beauty. People, there's been basically high-level, very high-level intelligence studies done on, on Weishaupt and his, his cohorts of getting uh, into a system where they already had groups of men ready to get used who would be completely unaware that they were going to be used and were being used at the time. They still didn't know what the ultimate goal was. They thought they did. And that's the beauty. They must always believe uh, that their initial propaganda as to what they must do. Oh, I'm doing this because blah, blah, blah. We all agree. But they have no idea. In, re- in reality, there's a, a higher cause, which is often detrimental to them, in fact. Quite something, eh? But again, maybe I'll, I'll give a, a talk on that someday, I don't know. In a better depth. And then when you look at this little piece here, for instance, it's from the New York Times. This is with the fiery zeal of a preacher. Uh, Zi Hong addressed the class of 54th grade students, all in matching red tracksuits. Uh, uniformity is often important, remember, how you dress, how you look in you. And then you start losing your independence and individuality when you all look the same. Today's life is rich, blessed, happy and joyous, she said. Where does our happy life come from? Who gave it to us? Miss Z's classroom at the Workers and Peasants Red Army Elementary School there was only one correct answer, and she had worked tirelessly to ensure her students knew it. It comes from the blood of revolutionary martyrs from the Red Army, said a nine-year-old boy. The class burst into applause, and Mrs. Z beamed. For decades, the Chinese Communist Party has pushed a stiff regimen of ideological education on students, requiring tedious lessons on Marx and Mao and canned lectures on the virtues of patriotism and loyalty. See, this is all the things that you can get to. Now, amid fears that the party is losing its grip on its young minds, President Xi Jinping is reshaping political education across China's more than 283,000 primary and secondary schools for a new era. They get larger doses of Communist Party lore, including glorified tales about the party's fights against foreign invaders like Japan, and schools are adding courses in traditional medicine and Confucian thought to highlight China's achievements as a civilization. In a stern directive last month, the party ordered schools to intensify efforts to promote Chinese traditional and socialist culture, a mix of party loyalty and patriotic pride in China's past. Under this new formulation, the party is presented less as a vanguard of proletarian revolution and more as a force for reviving China and restoring its rightful place as a world power. Now, all countries use this. They always grab the children and propagandize them. It's very far advanced at the moment in the West, and really speeding up now with all the, with all the, the agendas, even gender agendas and everything else, are getting really pushed, pushed, pushed big time. And I'll put some of that up tonight. Here's the United Nations to call to make Thomas the Tank Engine the child's story, gender-neutral, as an example. So it says, a row erupted after it emerged. The United Nations had been called in to advise how to update the image of Thomas and Friends, the children's TV favourite. The changes made by US toy maker Mattel, which owns the show will mean the end of Henry and Edward, two of Thomas's friends who appeared in the original books by the Reverend Wilbert Audrey. They're being replaced in the Tidmouth sheds by two female engines, including Nia, the first uh, African engine developed with the help of the United Nations. That is, Thomas will leave his home on the island of Sodor for the first time for adventures abroad in episodes that support the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Pure propaganda and social engineering. Political correctness. Believe you me, the United Nations is beyond any Soviet system, way beyond it. In fact, they're, they're, they're bringing it up to really where the whole Soviet thing, the perfect Marxist Soviet system was supposed to go. Totally, 
managing all of society, managing and altering everybody into a single uniformity. But only for, for all the masses, not for the, them above the masses, of course. And then New Zealand School abolishes gendered uniforms, offering same clothes to them all. And the problems that that causes, it's always the same stories everywhere you find. And uh, then you have this article here, transgender hormone drug for children. They call it kids backed by Attorney General, despite warnings of permanent effects like brain damage and infertility. And they're calling the treatment now therapeutic to treat the disease of gender dysphoria. Aye, aye, aye. Anyway, another one too. Entomology's Political Times, the 18 to 30 demographic, is reaching for the stars. Which is the new system, of course, while replacing religion with the new religion, which is, of course, all what used to be called New Age, but now they're really pushing it even further and further, and they're getting into the... Because it's true, you, you, you can take people out of religion, but you can't take religion out of the people. They'll simply replace it with another one. And so those who are in charge of the world will always supply the other one for them, which always serves those at the top better than those who follow the new religion, naturally. Another kind of meme or theme they're pushing too is collective consciousness to replace God, author Dan Brown. Everything really... It goes into, you'd be surprised, everywhere they've, they've put in political correctness, they've got tied in completely with sustainable development, including feminism now. You've got to get the feminists in for sustainable development and, uh, you know, saving the planet and all the rest of it. Everybody's being used. It's easy to use people if you have control from the top and you can just put out masses of propaganda and you already own the schools and run it all. <laughs> Then you get the teachers' unions on board. You make sure they're awfully well paid. And just like Stalin said, when he was given an interview on how to, how do you keep control of a massive system like this in a massive country? He says, first you must completely control and, and pay your military well, and those who run the military, and your police and your, and your teachers. The rest of it follows, you see. And the teachers are always responsible for brainwashing the next crop. Of children. Nothing changes, eh? Well, why would you change something when it works? But the, the beauty is that those people can't see it. They're living through it at the time. Because the propaganda is so perfect. They actually don't see it for what it is. They don't see the consequences. They don't see the malice behind it because those who who want to socially engineer society are always malicious in nature. I don't care how they dress themselves up. That's the way it really is. The same people who bring you into wars and have you slaughtering, getting slaughtered. The same people who who will bring you into massive rationing for sustainable development. Same thing, over and over, same stories, over and over and over. Work again over and over. And the people always suffer as the ones who bring it on profit and profit and profit. The world has a lot of malicious people. And the malicious people who are powerful psychopaths find each other and they can work with each other in big groups at the top for their own benefit. And they, being psychopaths, can rationalize every kind of evil which still inflict upon the world and upon the people that even reside in their own countries. Never forget that. Never forget that. It's interesting, too, that, and I mentioned it before, there was a good movie put out a long time ago, a kind of of, um, musical, a satirical music, musical movie on World War One called Oh What a Lovely War and apparently they've reopened it I think in England somewhere one of the theatres there live but in it they do go through this whole patriotic thing and by the propaganda people at the top and how they churn out songs and it's true they, they, they actually pay for songs to be churned out to keep the people happy and enthusiastic about the war little bubblegum songs and Nothing has changed there either. Now they just give you heavy metal stuff and 
and to tell a guy it's going to be some kind of primitive warrior in the 21st century. But nothing changed. Why change something that works so well? Eh? But in Over oh, a Lovely War, they have a scoreboard put up, and you see how many deaths Britain loses per day as they show you the scoreboard. And it's staggering. These were the actual figures of the dates they were actually portraying there. And it's staggering to think that a class of people and all the officers at the top, the big, big cheeses, were all of the upper class, basically, who were oh, lost at 40-odd thousand today. All it's sticking there for you know, 50,000 in tomorrow. On every darn day. I mean, it's a massive slaughter. And you will scratch your head forever saying, well, well, why didn't they change their tactics? And why didn't they allow the guys to... What was this charging against machine gun bullets for when you're standing up? You weren't allowed to lie down, take cover. No, no, no. Day after, for, for four years? Come on. Come on. It was the same thing, too, with the movie on Gallipoli. Uh, the Mel Gibson was in. Well done, that movie, and uh, it just shows you the, the ridiculous, the stupidity of all. But don't think for an instant that those at the very, very top, and there were people at the top who wanted world government to come out of this. Through the slaughter, they wanted massive slaughter. The Fabian Society was one. And H.G. Wells talked about it. He said, we've got to make the countries give up their sovereignty, and, uh, and only a, a massive world war can, can do it. A great war. And he, who didn't go off to fight, was also the one who wrote about the... Pro- he, he, wrote, he came out with slogans for, for propaganda for the Fabian Society, which is the wing of the Royal for International Affairs. And he came out with the Hun, the revived the Hun thing, to dehumanize Germans by calling them the Hun. And then he also came out with uh, ideas to get more guys to join up, more young, young impressionable men. With, with, to the girlfriends of them, if, they, if he won't go and fight, give him a white feather. And they made that fashionable for the females to wear on the streets to shame the men to go off and fight. But again, these are all little tidbits, I guess, and it really doesn't matter the big picture. But everything that you, that's fed to you when it comes to anything, when the big boys want you to do something, they've got all kinds of ways to make it happen. I mean, they even came out with the same, the same propaganda with Saddam Hussein. Oh, he's, his troops are bayoneting children and incubators, and, and, and you go to World War I, the same propaganda. Oh, the, the, the Huns, as they call them, were, were bayoneting children and women and babies. And why change it? It works the first time, eh? But there you are. Uh, these things will all be gone one day, because most folk today, unfortunately, don't want to think that deeply about things. They have so much electronic distractions to keep them happy and content in a fake world. And that's what it is. That's why there's so much dished out to you. If you think that all these big organizations that run the internet are separate, you know, think coming. They're all arms of the same massive control and intelligence system. Of course they are. And far be it from really informing you the trick is to completely distract you with everything you're looking at. Very effective, isn't it? As hope, you know, I just hope. That's all you have is really hope, isn't it? And we've got to have hope that we'll come through it. At least enough people will come through in every generation to pass on the messages to the people, at least those who want to, to find out what is really going on, what has happened. You'll never know what is happening now unless you know what happened before. And there's always a few who start asking questions. So stop banging your head against walls and try to drink yourself to death or quieten your brain with drugs or whatever and accept the fact that maybe you just have a role to play in finding out far, far more about what's going on and activate that brain, give it a purpose, and then you'll stop beating your head against the wall. Because that's what happens. You're supposed to just fit in. Before, we just get married and have children. They don't even bother with that anymore. They don't want that. They just say, have lots of sex. It doesn't matter what with or who with or anything else. Just have lots of sex. Have, have, be a perpetual child. Just keep drinking beer until you're near 90. Have fun, fun, fun. And don't get involved in anything. Be good. Keep your nose clean. And, and uh, you'll be a good citizen. That's what they tell you today. 
And then you know yourself, if you, if you are questioning and you can't help questioning, then you do have a purpose and you won't fit in that little category of drinking yourself to death, whatever it happens to be. So start using it because someone has to pass on information to the next bunch. And you won't be popular, at least at the very top. From myself, Alan Watchman, to your Canada, it's good night. And may your God or your gods go with you.